A very special guest of the Wellness Guys podcast, Pete Evans! I think I've got one. Hello. I'm Lawrence Tam. I'm Damien Christoph. And I'm Brett Hill. <laughs> and we're, this is the Wellness Guys show, a weekly show dedicated to bringing wellness to your lives. And today, obviously, is a very special Wellness Guys podcast. Um, we're doing a live podcast at the 2014 Wellness Summit in Melbourne Crown. It's an awesome event. We have a whole lineup here. <laughs> we have Karen Smith. We have Cindy O'Meara. Kim Morrison from Up for a Chat. And we have Rich Sayer and Stuart Hayes from Careers Unplugged. And of course, we have the very special guest, Pete Evans. Whoa. I can't compete with that. That girl's about to paint. That girl's about to paint. (laughs) So for those guys not here, you missed out. Pete just took off his shirt. (laughs) That's why you should come to the summit next year. So uh, we got some questions. We're going to do this podcast a little differently. We're going to be basically going to be answering questions from the audience. And uh, we got a lot of us here on stage. And uh, Marcus Pierce is going to be part of the podcast podcast as well. My uh, co-host from the Inside the Champion's Mind. You're going to stay on the floor. That's okay. Crowded up there. All right. I'm going to open this up. The first question is for the great Pete Evans. Pete, question comes through from Debbie. What is the current deal with fruit? Is it a maximum of two pieces per day, or is it the recommendations in Grain Brain, or can we go unlimited fruit? Is eating fruit with less fructose than glucose only? Who do I believe? <laughs> Debbie and probably lots of other people in the room want to know about fruit. I think you should believe your body would probably be the, the first one. Um, how do I answer this? Cindy might be better at answering this one. Um, do I eat it? No. I hardly eat any fruit myself. Um, that's me. I can't advocate what anyone else should do. Um, all I'd say is that um, the fruit that we eat these days is very... It's a lot different than the fruit that um, we would have seen hundreds if not thousands of years ago in a lot of, a lot of areas. Um, fruit, as we know, turns the sugar in our body. Do we need excess sugar in the body? It depends on how you're fueling your body. Are you, fuel, are you a fat burner or are you a sugar burner? If you're a sugar burner, then you probably feel like you need to have sugar in your diet. If you're a fat burner, which we'll talk about a little bit later on, then there's probably no need to have a large amount of um, excess sugar in your body. Does that answer your question? Sort of? 
more questions from that? <laughs> I, I have a few berries here and there. That's about it. So. Would so anyone far, else so like to offer? Cindy? Well, I talked about it yesterday in the wellness, at the Wellness Summit, but what I feel about fruit is that it should be seasonal. And if you can have it local, have it in your area, because your body knows whether it's spring, summer, winter, or whatever season it is. It actually knows what it is. And the, the fruit in your seasonal area, in your local area, will actually be in sync with you. If you look up Dr. Jack Cruz's um, information on this, it's absolutely fascinating. But that's why we should be eating local and we should be eating seasonally. And if there's fruit available, if you live in Harcourt and the apples are sitting there, go for it. But the thing is, is that we eat mangoes in the winter and they come from Queensland. I don't think you guys have mangoes in Victoria. So, but you have berries in the summer and we have them in the winter. So try and do it that way. And, you know, fructose made from, a, from wheat or BT corn or something like, it's a, if it's a wheat-based sugar, then it's a problem. But if it's a natural sugar, then it's been a part of our diet for thousands and thousands of years. So a bit like what Pete says, figure out what your body needs. We have hacked into our bodies so badly that sometimes we can't do fruit for quite some time. So if you need to eliminate it in the beginning, go for it. But if you can reintroduce it back in, then that's good too. It's, we're all individuals. We all have health issues. We all have gut issues. Um, it, it's non-stop. And the way to do it is to figure it out for yourself, but eat seasonally and locally. And I also think, I mean, when you look at fruit, look at the sugar content of it. I mean, an avocado, for instance, great quality fats, and it's a fruit. Um, what else is there? There's, I mean, tomatoes are a fruit. There's a, it, it depends what you define as fruit. I mean, when most people think of fruit, they're normally thinking of something very, very sweet. So just choose your fruit carefully. Because so, I do eat avocados and I do eat coconuts, even though they're, they're a fruit, they're a nut, and they're a seed. Has anyone worked that out yet? <laughs> what it actually is? It's good food. It's good food. And it's paleo, right? Coconut's paleo. We spoke about that before. <laughs> so, uh, so uh, I just want to say about fruit, uh, the older it gets, the sweeter it is. So the fruit uh, sugars will change and get sweeter and sweeter as the um, enzymes break down. The intelligence of the fruit breaks it down to become earth again. Same as a, pl- a-, a vegetable. As you let it sit for a long period of time, its nutritional status decreases, the flavour profile increases, it will change, and it will become less beneficial for you the older it is. So the fresher, the better. In other words, seasonally picked, as close as it can be to your home, the better. And, uh, and that's, that's my general rule. From a fruit perspective, if you bloat and your guts are playing up from eating fruit, you probably don't need as much as what you're eating. And think about fermenting fruit as well. It's a, it's a beautiful way of... Um incorporating it into your diet as well and um, I mean green mango fermented is one of the or green papaya, green pawpaw if you can ferment that and go home and google the health benefits of of that for your gut flora it's it's amazing Alright, next question um, is from, uh, I'm not sure who it's from actually it's on barefoot running, so probably for Kim uh, and Brett, barefoot is more natural but is running on concrete too damaging should we be finding grass areas or does the body accommodate for the unforgiving services we have in the world today. Yeah, I'll start with this one. We actually spoke to Chris McDougall when we interviewed him on The Wellness Guys, and he spoke about exactly this. And his take on it was, he said, look, if you go to Africa, 
And if you have a look at where people are running around and the, and the hard-baked dirt that they're running around on, you say, look, it's actually not that much different to the bitumen that we're running around on. So a lot of it is just a conditioning thing. You know, we spoke before, he said, last year I actually did the 12-kilometre city-to-bay run on the bitumen in bare feet and pulled up OK. Actually pulled up really well. So you can do it. Uh, whether you want to do it might be a different story. I think, you know, you have a look at the, the footpaths and stuff you're running around on and, you know, you start seeing glass and all sorts of other stuff there, then it's probably a good idea to get yourself maybe some minimalist shoes and, and do that just to protect yourself a little bit. Um, but you can do it if you want and you can condition yourself to do it if you want. Um, so it's certainly possible. I think it is still quite natural. Um, you know, the bitumen probably is a bit harder than what we ever would have had before. But it's not that much harder. So if you want to do it, go for it. If you don't want to do it, there's heaps of great options out there in terms of minimalist shoes that you can wear now. Such as Vivo Barefoot? Exactly right. <laughs> I just feel with running, it's about conditioning as well. And I got asked before, you know, as we get older, should we be running as much? Well, I'm finding personally now I don't need to run, go for two hours running. I can do a Tabata workout. And I've found I've injured myself more running on sand than I have running on bitumen. So for me, it's more about being aware of my environment, using my feet as a reflective back on the feedback I'm getting from what I'm walking on. I think the more minimalist we go, the more aware we are of the surfaces we're running on. We could run anywhere, trust me. If there was a big saber-toothed tiger, we'd run over anything. So as far as I'm concerned, it's about being aware of your conditions, listening to the feedback in your feet, being grounded earth to me, going barefoot, walking along the beach, sometimes is better than going for a run, 10Ks on, on bitumen. And, and it's definitely about the technique. You know, you spoke about getting older, and a lot of people say, oh, I'm getting older so I can't run, or, you know, I've got bad knees so I can't run. But a lot of the time it's about the technique. And so a lot of the time it's not that you can't run, it's just you can't run with bad technique. So you get the technique right, and it makes it all a lot easier. Great work. All right, this comes from Bronte. Fascinating question, particularly for the parents up on the stage, specifically directed to Kim and Cameron. It says, how can we positively influence the self-confidence and mental health of our young girls? How can we empower them to love themselves and their bodies when the world around them is telling them not to? I think it's simple. Be the example. If you're standing there looking in the mirror going, I'm fat, I'm ugly, I'm wrinkly, look at me, I'm not a good look, your daughters are learning that that's the language to use. Your sons are learning that that's the way that they can talk to their girlfriends and then they call their 16-year-old girlfriend fat. Now she's got an eating disorder and for the rest of her life she's trying to work out what's up with her. I think we carry a huge responsibility. Everyone in you in this room, my challenge to you is never to look at yourself naked in the mirror again and go, ooh, yuck. If you're not happy with what it is, you've had so much advice over this weekend to get it back to what it should be or could be and enjoy it for what it is. None of you in this room are in a wheelchair. None of you in this room are a quadriplegic. There's no excuse. So for me personally, it's about being the role model, the example for the younger generation and actually not thinking. I said to you yesterday, Cindy Crawford wishes she looked like Cindy Crawford. Those images are not real. So we need to remind our children, our, our beautiful sons and daughters, that the reality is who we are and loving us in the moment. That's what I think is important. So to add on to that, I think the other component of our responsibility as parents is to also take into consideration the environment that we place ourselves and our kids into because your kids are comparing themselves to people outside of the family home. And that's how they're starting to establish their identity. So we've got to be responsible for how we are um, influencing our children 
outside as well. So what sort of environment are they being placed in? What are your friends like? What are your family like? What are their friends like? And you'll always get a really good indication as to what's going on between the ears of your kids based on the kinds of people that they're surrounding themselves with at school and the kind of friends that they're choosing. Because sometimes they're not going to come out and say, I hate myself, I'm fat, I'm overweight, and, you know, I'm a loser. They're not going to have the language for that necessarily, depending on the age that they're at. So the way that you can see it as a parent is there's going to be warning signs that you can pick up on. So start to pay attention to the kinds of things that they're drawing, the kinds of things that they're writing about, the kinds of friends that they're attracting. And that's going to give you some alarm bells as to what's going on between their two ears. And remember that our kids are meaning-making machines. So no matter what happens and no matter what you do or what they see, you can't control the meaning that they then ascribe to what's occurred in that experience. But you can help them with reasoning. So if somebody does say that they're fat and they come home and they say, Mom, Jerry called me fat at school. Does my butt look big in my jeans now? If your kids come home and say that, they're making meaning out of that. And then, of course, that leads to greater um, problems as they're getting older, especially in today's younger generation. So you can help them ascribe new meanings to those sorts of experiences by reasoning with them and saying, is that true? Let's get a texture and draw an outline of you on a glass window so that you can see what you look like. Let's see whether that's true or that's not true. And what we want to do is have our kids fall in love with themselves. We don't want to have our kids becoming critical of themselves. And that, again, as Kim said, that part does come back to us. If we're constantly critical about ourselves and we're constantly saying, I shouldn't have eaten that or I shouldn't have done that, then your kids are picking up on that. We want to try and shift the perspective for our children, and we do have to shift the perspective for ourselves as well. It does start with us. And that's where the work is for you guys. Learn to fall in love with yourself. And if you do choose a diet or a way of life, let it come from a place of love rather than from a place of, I need to change what's here because I hate what's here. Does that make sense? Mm. And it's a very different perspective. And if we can try to educate our children from that angle, I think we're going to have some really long-lasting changes that then they'll become a ripple effect for the other people in their lives. I love that. Um, I'm going to just add on to that because I think it's fabulous. And once you, you know, come from a male perspective as a dad, the thing is, is that we are all made up of stories, right? It's a story that we have actually told ourselves and our life and the way we behave. And so therefore, our children, like you said, is they have a story. And if you don't pay attention to the words that they're saying, and when they, rather than just pushing it off the side, pay attention and ask, like, what is it specifically that makes you think that way? And that's what's going to change it from a very young age. They pick it up when they're one-year-old, two-year-old. You know, I watch my, two, you know, my three-year-old now. Um, you know, when he was two, they, there's certain things. He's already trying to piece things together and how it works. Relationships, we want to talk about relationships. They're watching you as a parent. How does the mom and the dad communicate? How do they, how do they talk to each other? Are they yelling at each other? Are they having fights all the time? How do they tell each other what to do? That's what you got to watch out for. Those little things that we don't think about it because we just kind of take it for granted. That's what your children are learning from. You are the role model, and we, we talk about that you know, all the time throughout, later through every single talk to this weekend, is that you are the role model. So be careful of what you say, but you're, if unless... Well, I guess what I'm trying to say is, number one, is be aware of you. If you're not aware of yourself, you can't influence the people that are watching you. Does this make sense? Getting, 
We're getting some questions on the uh, genetic side of things, nutrigenomic testing. A few people have come, this, come forward with these questions. What testing, uh, this is for Damien, Cindy and anyone else that would like to, but what <laughs> testing specifically do you guys recommend? I know Damien and I, we've done a couple of webinars on this, uh, which I, we can share as well, but just be specific for people. What can they do to have their genes tested? Sure, sure. So um, I use a company called Smart DNA. Uh, you can go to the website and check them out. They've got a whole list of different practitioners. Um, so uh, they have a, a profile which is about 90 SNPs, so that's 90 different genes. And then that, they fill a report. It's about 85 to 90 pages of information. Um, it costs around about $400 to get that test. Now, you get that test through a practitioner. The practitioner will then go through and, and tell you about what all that means. And that fee is on top of what that DNA test actually is. So it depends on what they charge as to what you'll end up paying. Um, it's a very, very insightful test. Um, it's very, very. It's obviously completely unique to you. Um, but he, here's the caveat, here's the disclaimer. If information scares you and it doesn't motivate you to change, if all it does is hangs over you and you find out you've got a gene that means that you're at high risk of developing heart disease and you've been doing something for 30 or 40 years, it might be better for you to not even know about it. Do you know what I mean? But if you feel that getting more information can inspire you to change, to make better decisions, and know that from an epigenetic perspective, the things that you do in your environment can alter your internal environment, your expression of your health. If you decide that you're going to change your environment, you can switch some genes on and some genes off um, as a result of changing your environment. So that could be really, really good for you. But you've got to do a self-analysis to work out whether or not that information is going to be beneficial or detrimental to your mental health, because the mental health will determine how far you go with it anyway. Does that make sense? Uh, as far as um, the genetic testing and all the testing that's um, coming up, as well as urine tests and blood tests, I, I feel that we're just tested out. And I think, for, number one, change your diet. Just start there. And then if you're having problems in three months, then maybe go to that testing. As far as the genetic testing goes, uh, Dr. Steve Myers, who's heading up my education uh, program, I said to him, I don't get all this DNA testing. Can you please look into it for me? So what he did was he went and looked into it. Then I had an hour lecture with him with a whiteboard. He did the lecture. And he said, you can have a snip here. But there are all of these things that are happening behind it where this SNP makes no difference. So what we're doing in the education department, in the education course that we're doing, is we're going to teach you what are the what are the benefits of having it versus what are the drawbacks of having it, having a test like that. And I think Damien said it quite well that you know if you're scared of it, don't do it. But if you think it's going to motivate you to do something, then do something. But be aware that it's not foolproof, just like. Um, allergy tests are not foolproof, just like blood tests are not foolproof, nor urine tests. We have to start realising that we have a complicated body, that we don't know everything about it. And like I said yesterday, every time I learn something, I know I know nothing. Because it's, especially this whole genetics thing, it's more than what you think. So start with looking after your body in a, and becoming matched with your evolutionary body again with the foods that you're consuming and the lifestyle that you're living. I love that. Just one more thing, just to add to that, Cindy, because that's, that's exactly what I feel. Um, my, my real feeling is that right now we've got a whole bucket load of information about genes and in 10 years' time we're going to have a whole bucket load of information about genes. And 10 years ago, we changed our minds on something that we promoted 20 years ago. 
And so what you might learn today could still be incorrect. Just because the science says that it's valid right now doesn't mean that in five or ten years' time, science isn't going to say, oh, sorry, mucked that one up. You know, take HRT, for example. You know what I mean? HRT was a killer. It still is a killer. Still is a killer. And so we're, you know, we've got to be concerned about that sort of stuff. And where science evolves and they catch up with what we already know with or we know about, and that is good health, good eating, exercise, mindfulness, all of the tenets and the pillars of health, if you just practice those anyway, you probably don't need to get your genes tested. Cool. All right, I'm going to put you guys on the spot here because one of our attendees has said, my wife wanted me to ask you if you could talk a little bit about alcohol. So I'm going to start left to right first. Simple yes or no answer. Uh, Cindy, starting at Cindy first. Just yes or no. Do you drink alcohol? Let's take it left to right. And then whoever would like to add to that can add to that. So I'm only allowed to say one word. Yes or no. <laughs> Are you serious, Marcus? Yeah, yeah. One, I just want a yes or no from left to right. Oh, no. and then... Grey. Grey. I'm grey. There you right. go. <laughs> I... I don't drink. Um, haven't drunk for some time now. I find that I go better when I don't drink. And from looking at the research, I found that there was a whole bunch of stuff there showing that it might not be so good for me, and not actually heaps of stuff showing that there was benefit there that I couldn't get from doing other things. One word. That was not one word. Oh, you can go more than one word. So I meant that you can say one word all around, and then if you want to chime in, you can. But do what Brett did. That's cool. See? <laughs> I am also with Cindy, I am grey, but if I am going to drink anything, we had a small cognac the other night, and that's probably the first drink I've had in, in months, so very small amounts, and sure occasionally. Like you would have been smashed. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Um, I can say, for me, I don't. I, I, didn't, I haven't drunk in alcohol for 14 years now. And that's not to say that you shouldn't. It's just it was a personal decision. My decision to not drink was because I was studying to become a chiropractor. I was studying to become, you know, a health advocate. And uh, I just felt that I didn't, I wasn't congruent with myself in the message that I was going to give while I was getting drunk on the weekend with my friends during exam time. Because I don't even drink, you know, after exams. And so I just, I just made a decision at that point to not drink from then on. It was more a decision from that being congruent. My answer is yes, I do drink, and I love a glass of red wine with my main meal in the evening, even two or more on occasions. But I have found, after years of sex, drugs and rock and roll, that beer, <laughs> beer is no longer uh, doable for me, and, and, you know, I used to not mind a beer, and now I'll, I'll have one and go, poor, regretted that. So. Yes to red wine. Uh, I have not drunk any alcohol for two and a half years, um, but actually for a different reason. So initially for me, it was that when I had my first leadership program coming up at Crown, um, I realised I had such an amount of work to get done for three months, I set a goal and said, I'm not going to drink for, th- for three months until it was finished. But actually what I found was that, um, and I meditate every day, as some of you know, and what I found was that my meditation improved incredibly and that my level of presence incru- improved incredibly. So... Actually, when, when the three months was finished and I was able, I'd, taken, I'd finished my goal, I actually um, decided to not drink. And uh, I haven't decided to drink still. Even though I have a, a 96 bottle of champagne uh, that Rani and I were given when we got married, that I would like to have one day. So maybe one day, but not right now. Thank you. Good. 
Um, I don't have a whole lot of hair, but I too am grey. <laughs> so um, Amber and I hardly have a drink um, in t- And sometimes I will have a drink The other night we went out for dinner The boys um, And I had a mojito And I love them um, But I don't, I don't drink every single day And I wouldn't drink every single week In fact, if I drank once or twice a month I would probably be pissed next week You know what I mean? So it, it, like it, it flows on for me It does affect my performance It affects my health um, and I don't like to drink much or any alcohol at all. So and you're not even Asian. I'm very measured. And my name's Karen Smith, and it's been four weeks since I had a lot. As long as you replace it with something better. <laughs> I don't drink much. Um... <laughs> no, that's just a, that's just a joke. I might have one glass of wine every three to four months. I find it interferes with my innate intelligence, and I don't like how that feels because it really doesn't agree with me. So if I just have one glass, the next day I'm feeling seedy, and that's not cool. I did enough of that when I was younger, and I don't need to do that now that I can make s- smart decisions for myself. I owned a nightclub in King's Cross for 11 years. I've done it all. I've seen it all. I don't drink. I haven't drunk for three years. Um, the question I put out there to everyone is, if we, don't, if we don't let our kids have it, if you don't let pregnant women have it, then why is it okay for everyone else to have it? Touche. But I have in the past. (laughs) (laughs) And uh, well done. Thanks for your honesty, everyone. That was awesome. Okay, our final question for this live recording of The Wellness Guys. Feel free, any of you, to answer. What is the best way to deal with friends who are negative Nancys? Who are what? Get new friends. Now, nah, look, when people, people are negative usually because they don't understand and they don't want to understand because they want to continue to believe what they believe in, which is obviously what I said before is dogma and that's a religion. So they've subscribed to their thing and they think that you're doing something that's cult-like. And at the end of the day, all you're doing is moving yourself in a direction and you don't necessarily have to have them coming along with you. If they choose to come with you, fabulous. They'll be there when you're succeeding at the top of the summit. Um, but if they want to try and hold you back, they're the wrong sort of people for you. Um, I'd move on. And just to add to that, I think that everybody's doing the best that they can with what they have. And, you know, based on what we know, we take action and we have behaviours and we have beliefs that, are, that, that align with that. So, you know, it's not a case of people actually being negative in your life. They're just not where you are, as Damo said. And it's not wrong. It's just where they are. So let's not make ourselves right and let's not make the world wrong. Let's just be with the way that things are. And that way we can be with people no matter what mental state they're in or no matter what they believe because you're rock solid in what you believe about yourself and you don't then have to go judging whether people are right or wrong. You can just be with them based on their beliefs but it doesn't change yours. And oftentimes in relationships, opposites attract. So we tend to attract people in our lives that are different to us. I'm a a classic example of that. But when we learn to be with our partners and when we learn to be with our friends, regardless of where they're at, we can just love them anyway. It doesn't have to change anything for us. So get rock solid with you first and then nothing outside will 
will affect you or put you on shaky foundations. Yeah. And... Yeah. yeah, I'm pretty much on the exact same page. But I think the number one point I'd say is don't try and make them positive people. Right? That's not your role. That's, that's their stuff. So you've just got to let them be them, and that's okay. The second thing I'd say is do, be who you want to be. You know, don't focus on what they're doing. Focus on what you're doing and be the example for them. And if they choose to change, that's great. But if they don't, then that's okay too. Okay? And then the third part of that is choose who you want to spend time with who's going to help you become the person you want to do. And that doesn't mean that you don't be friends with them anymore. You can still be friends with them, but you might just choose to see them less and to spend more time with other people who are supporting you and building you up. And that's okay too. I think it comes down to a friendship as a relationship. And as you probably learnt this weekend, our bodies are constantly evolving through the foods that we choose to eat. But also our being is evolving every day. So when you started your friendship, you both were at this stage, and as days and weeks and years go on, you're, you're constantly changing, they're constantly changing. So, I mean, this happens with personal relationships, husband and wife, boyfriend, girlfriend, uh, best mates. So it can be challenging sometimes for people, especially when you decide to make a drastic change, because we might have been best mates down at the pub, going down there every weekend, having a few beers. <laughs> But then all of a sudden I might have got something wrong with myself. I thought, you know what, I I need to fix myself up a little bit. I might change my diet. So you're like, well, who am I going to drink? Everybody get photos quick. (laughs) You might... The only thing that's running through your mind is... Just sit here. The fear and insecurity of if you're changing, either I'm going to have to change to keep to to keep this relationship going. So they they'll probably try to do everything they can to sabotage you and say, "Oh, what about your health? You shouldn't be giving up this because you're, you 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 know what it, what it's like." So it's always look at the naysayers and, and, and see their own fears and insecurities and and their own s- belief systems kicking in. Um, and you'll probably find it's always your closest friend that it's your family. It'll be your parents or it'll be your husband or your wife or, or your kids because you play a role in their world just the way you are as well. Mm. Mm. So mm. when you change that, panic sets in. Sometimes it's, it's, it's well-deserved because they're scared that you might give up dairy, for instance. You might be... Might and get calcium, you know. So they come from it from a good place, but there's also another side of it that I think you should be aware of too. Well said. I think, you know, you actually around for that. You know, I think, you know, summarizing from what Pete just said, it's, it's you know, in any relationship, it's about a series of agreements or a series of commitments to each other, you know, uh, in a relationship. And I would just like to point out to one last point. It's about, what about the negative person that's inside of you? Right? We talk about the negative people around us, the energy vampires, but what is the relationship you have with yourself? You know, that person that's sitting inside your head that tells you what you can't do, what you can't accomplish, what you can't get across to that summit at the top of the mountain we talked about. That's the agreement that you have to have with yourself. And are you willing to kind of cut ties with that person? That's a challenge that goes through every single one of these guys on the stage and every single one of you here. Trust me, we're no different than you. And so, therefore, those things are going on in our heads. Are you willing to decide that you don't no longer want to listen to that part of you? 
and be able to move forward to the ways that you want to go. So I really thank you guys for being on this podcast. I want to thank you all of the guests, uh, speakers on the uh, Wellness Guy podcast for this one. So let's give them a round of applause. It's been another sensational Wellness Summit. We'll love to make sure you guys go, if you, as you're listening to this, go to our Facebook page, facebook.com slash Guys or The Wellness Couch. Like us there, and make sure you share this with your friends, your other families, and other strangers who need a wellness update. If you're on iTunes, make sure you download us and subscribe to us and give us a five-star rating because this guy loves five-star ratings. <laughs> Until next week, begin creating wellness in your lives and lead by example. We're The Wellness Guys. Take care. See you next year. This has been a production of TheWellnessCouch.com. Check us out on Facebook and join the conversation on Facebook.com or slash TheWellnessCouch. Subscribe to each show on iTunes and check us out on Facebook. Couch. streaming wellness into your lives. Thank you, guys. Appreciate it. <laughs>